0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Adherent Apologetics, wherever you may be, however you're joining us, really happy that you're making this a part of your day. I'm here with Dr. Christopher Yon. If you don't know a little bit about him, he teaches at Moody Bible Institute. He's taught there for over 10 years. A lot of the focus of his ministry is on difficult issues relating to faith and sexuality. Um, I'm really excited to talk with Christopher Yon. We're going to be addressing a lot of difficult questions regarding sexuality, whether it's transgenderism or homosexuality or all kinds of stuff. Um, we also will be taking your questions at the end if you have questions. Uh, but welcome, Dr. Christopher Yon.
1: How are you doing? Welcome. I'm You're here. I'm doing well, Zach. Thanks for having me on, and uh, good to connect with you from chicago is you're in virginia right yes sir awesome
0: lynchburg virginia so it's yes the amazing power of the internet's brought us together today
1: amen and and hello to everyone on youtube right now tuning in hello youtube and if you're listening to us later via podcast welcome as well um so
0: let's just start off with this uh who who are you like if someone was (laughs) like who's this Christopher Yon guy and and why does he have anything to say about sexuality? Just give a little bit of an introduction on who you are.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, that's such an important question because that's, that's a big part of our ministry is talking about identity. You know, first and foremost, I, I am a child of God. Um, Mm. I'm created in God's image, but I'm also a child of God adopted purely because of the perfect work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Mm. I, I, I also, as a vocation, as my calling, I speak on this really important topic of sexuality and also kind of by proxy gender. And um, I speak and I write, um, and I do that with with staying focused and centered on the gospel of Jesus Mm. Christ.
0: Mm. yeah so i think that in terms of laying the ground of where you've gotten to you are you've written books like holy sexuality um all kinds of different books really powerful stuff it's it's helpful to hear your story um Mm. so i'm sure you've shared your testimony a million times and i'm sure you could share it for a long time but can you just talk a little bit about like your testimony and who you are and how god's kind of used you to where you are today
1: yeah, you know, thanks for asking, because that is a big part of my own journey and why I talk on this really important topic of sexuality, because it's something very personal. And, um, you know, you're right. I, I I don't know exactly a million, but it definitely feels like a million. <laughs> but, you know, people ask me, do I ever get tired? And not yet. Uh, cause <laughs> I'm glad. It, yeah, because, you know, Zach, it's, for me, it's just a reminder of where God has brought me. Mm. Because isn't it so easy, Zach, for us just to forget sometimes what oh, happened yeah. yesterday? Forget about mm-hmm. uh, the deliverance that the Lord has brought us. Mm-hmm. Maybe last week, or uh, the, you know, even how we were saved from depravity, you know, years ago. So it's it's a constant reminder for me, and and I praise the Lord for being able to share that. Well, so I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I wrestled with my sexuality from a young age. I didn't come out of the closet, as I said, or I used to say. Back It wasn't until I was about 20 in my early 20s. I'm from Chicago and I moved from Chicago to Louisville, Kentucky. I was pursuing my doctorate in dentistry. I was in graduate school and I came out of the closet, went home, told my parents, you know, we weren't Christian. So my mom gave me an ultimatum to choose the family or choose that. Mm -hmm. Well, this wasn't a choice, I told her, and so I left home, devastated my mom, but through that crisis, my mother came to faith, Mm -hmm. miraculously, and then my father did as well. I went the opposite direction, unfortunately got involved in drugs, and I always need to be really clear, because sometimes people think that I'm trying to communicate that all gays do drugs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. This is just my story, and Mm -hmm. you know, just as I want people to have the freedom to tell their story, I want to be able to tell my story and do it honestly and authentically. But I also wanna remind people that when you encounter the living Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Mm -hmm. he will impact every aspect of your life, every aspect. So my story isn't just something that touches on sexuality, it touches on humanity. Mm. So I unfortunately began experimenting with drugs, but like my classmates, I was poor. So I decided selling drugs and I sold to friends, classmates, even a professor. I was eventually expelled from school, moved from Louisville further down South to Atlanta. And there I kept doing what I knew how to do best sell drugs. Mm-hmm. And I also became not just a drug dealer but became a supplier to other dealers in over a dozen states. My parents had no clue that I was doing drugs, but they knew that I needed to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So they mm-hmm. prayed for me, a miracle. They came to visit me one time in Atlanta. I told them to get out. Mm-hmm. And, you know the interesting mm-hmm. thing was they weren't doing what, you know, the, you know people always say that these type of Christian parents do. They weren't preaching at me. They weren't telling me I was living in sin, but just the fact that God had so radically transformed their lives, that so they mm-hmm. radiated Christ, that was offensive to me. I mm-hmm. told them to leave. And we hear the narrative today that Christian parents, evangelical bible believing Christian parents are not able to love their gay children. Mm -hmm. You have to actually shut off that, you know, ancient teaching, that mythology Mm -hmm. to actually love your gay children. I had the exact opposite experience. My parents were not Christian. They rejected me. It wasn't until they became followers of Christ that they began pursuing Mm -hmm. me and loving me as God loved them while they were sinners, while they were even enemies. So I kicked them out. My dad gave me his Bible. I threw it in the trash can. I wanted nothing to do with their Mm -hmm. insane religion. Well, my parents knew that I was just hopeless, but they committed not to focus upon hopelessness, but upon mm. God's promises. So they pray, prayed for a miracle. My mom began to pray a bold prayer that God would do whatever it takes. My mom fasted every Monday for seven years and once mm. fasted 39 days on my behalf. Wow. Well, she prayed for a miracle, and that miracle came with a bang on my door. I opened up my door. And on my doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, <laughs> and two big German Shepherd dogs. It's
0: a wake up call.
1: It was a big wake up call. And I found myself in jail, someplace I never thought I would be. Well, a few days after that, I was walking around the cell block, and I'm like, I've just destroyed my life. Yeah. I was about to pass by this garbage can, but something on top of the trash caught my eye, and I bent over, picked it up, and it was a Gideon's New Testament. Mm. Took it back to my cell, began reading it. And at first I wasn't thinking, this is the word of God. I just thought I've got tons of time on my hands and I better pass it somehow. (laughs) But as Zach, you know, and many of the listeners and watchers know that what we have in our Bibles is not just ink on paper. It's the Mm -hmm. very breath of God. And it began to convict me. And you know, at first it was not good news. Well, things got worse. I was called to the nurse's office and I got the news that I was HIV positive. So a few days after that, I was sitting in my cell and I looked up at the cold metal bunk above me and somebody had scribbled something and it read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. Hmm. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I had no clue where that plan was gonna take me, but God gave me enough faith and enough strength to get through that one day and the next and the next. So my transformation was gradual. God was convicting me of my dependencies, obviously drugs, but within a few months, God delivered me from that addiction. God kept bringing to mind other idols. And there was one thing that I just felt like I couldn't let go of my sexuality. Mm-hmm. So I went to a chaplain and I asked him his opinion and he told me, oh, the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. And he even gave me a book. So I'm thinking, Great. I now have some justification, biblical justification for homosexuality. I had that Mm -hmm. book in one hand and the Bible in the other. And let me tell you, Zach, from a purely human perspective, I had every single reason in the world to accept what that book is claiming to justify the way I had been living. Mm -hmm. But God's indwelling Holy Spirit convicted me Mm -hmm. that those assertions were a clear distortion of God and his word. I couldn't even finish that book, and I gave it back to the chaplain. So I turned to the Bible alone. I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of scripture, looking for justification. I wanted to find any shred of evidence that might bless a monogamous same-sex relationship. So I went through the whole Bible. I went cover to cover several times at a time. I looked and I looked and I looked and I couldn't find any. Hmm. So I was at a turning point and a decision had to be made. Either abandon God and his word, live as a gay man, pursue a monogamous same sex relationship by allowing my attractions, get this, my sexual attractions to dictate not only who I was, but also how I lived.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or abandon pursuing a monogamous same sex relationship. How? By freeing myself from my sexuality, by not allowing my desires to control who I am. And live as a follower of Jesus Christ. Mm. My decision was clear and obvious. Mm. I followed Jesus. Mm. As the days and the weeks and the months of abstinence passed, I realized my sexuality shouldn't be the core of who I am. I told myself before, God loves me unconditionally. True. But as soon as we like to add God's truth, I added, so therefore he doesn't want me to change. Similar to people who say, God loves me just the way I am, so leave me alone. Mm -hmm. But after reading the Bible, I learned that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. My identity shouldn't be defined by my sexuality. My identity is not gay. It is not ex-gay. It's not even heterosexual, for that matter, because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. alone.
0: Yeah.
1: God says, be holy for I am holy. You know, I thought that the opposite of homosexuality was heterosexuality. But I realized that even if I had, um, you know, opposite sex attractions, that if that was the goal, I thought that was what Christians and what the Bible was calling me to do, that I had to become a heterosexual, which meant the more sexually attracted I were to lots and lots of women, the more of a Christian man I would be. But I realized that even if I had opposite sex attractions, I would still need to Flee temptation and resist sin. So actually, heterosexuality is not the right goal, correct direction, Mm -hmm. but it's not—it's too broad, too general. Mm -hmm. And so, and you know, the opposite of heterosexuality is not homosexuality. God never says, "Be heterosexual," for I am heterosexual. But neither did God say, "Be homosexual," for I am homosexual. Instead, God said, "Be holy," Mm -hmm. for I am holy. So the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That's not the goal, but the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. As a matter of fact, the opposite of every sin is holiness. I don't need to focus upon whether I'm struggling or tempted, but I just need to focus upon living a life of holiness and purity because change is not the absence of temptations, but change is the spirit-brought ability to uh to our spirit-ability to be holy even in the midst of temptations. Mm. Because the ultimate issue is not whether I'm struggling or tempted, but the ultimate issue is that I yearn after God in total surrender and complete obedience. So as I began to live this life of surrender and obedience, God revealed his plan for my life, which was calling me to full-time ministry. Mm -hmm. So I called and collected my parents, and I told them, I think God's calling me to ministry. And I asked them to mail me an application to Moody Bible Institute. But there was silence on the other line because I think they both dropped their phones. (laughs) (laughs) They mailed the application into me to prison, filled it out until I realized I needed references from people who knew me as a Christian for at least one year. Mm. Zach, I had some slim pickings in prison, but I was able to persuade a prison chaplain, a prison guard, and another prison inmate to write my references to Moody. So amazingly, Moody accepted me and I was released from prison (laughs) in July of 2001 and I started the very next month in August of 2001. So Mm. imagine the surprise of my classmates when I answered their question, what did you do this summer? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I graduated from Moody 2005, went on to my master's in exegesis from Wheaton College Graduate School and then received my doctorate in ministry in 2014 and then wrote my first book with my mother called out of a far country, a gay son's journey to God, a broken mother's search for hope. Actually, that book is u- being used as a textbook in many Christian high schools to help people to, through story, to understand the the be- the the understanding biblical sexuality and what that looks like. And then my newest book, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel, which I which just came out in 2018, the end of 2018. And actually, it was, uh, it was named Book of the Year, uh, 2019 Book of the Year, uh, for social issues by Outreach Magazine.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to read it. I just, I haven't gotten to it yet, but I've heard it's a very, very powerful book. It's one of the books that I'm about to start reading, Um, but, but Holy Sexual, I've heard so much about this book and I've Hmm. heard it's very powerful. So could you just like for someone who's never read your book, could you just give like a Basic, like, overview of it?
1: Yeah, sure. You know, I introduced the concept of homosexuality in my first book, Out of a Far Country, and it it was just a real short snippet. And it kind of grew out of my frustration with this paradigm that seemed like the only paradigm that we have. And what's that paradigm? It's the heterosexual, bisexual, homosexual paradigm. Mm. And uh, we've just pigeonholed ourselves into as Christians, thinking that's the only way to think about sexuality. And yet, as I understood, the reality was that this paradigm doesn't, it's its like trying to fit a square into a round hole or a round mm-hmm. peg into a square hole. It just doesn't work. And so I much prefer when we're able to use a more biblical paradigm, if it's, if it's there. So I had to ask myself, is there a more biblical paradigm? Because, you know, homosexuality, the behavior and desire is not God's will, but is heterosexuality God's will. And like I said before, it's too broad. That includes sinful behavior. And so we need to be much more precise. I mean, when we're living in a world of infinite shades of gray, not just 50, we have to be very, very precise. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be precise as well. God is precise. And as I realized the deficiency of this paradigm, I was like, we have to come up with a new one. And I came up and I just simply, well, let me just read read the Bible and see what it is calling us to. And And what the Bible is calling us to is two paths. First, which we all start on everyone starts in this path is you're not married. So from as a baby onto youth, high school onward, young, young adults, you know, all of us, we start out single. Mm -hmm. And so when you're a single man or single woman, how do we live in regards to our sexuality? We're going to be sexually abstinent. That's what God is calling us to.
0: Mm -hmm. However,
1: many people do marry. And when I'm using the word marriage, I'm using the Jesus definition, the biblical definition of marriage. Jesus said in Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10, that is between one man and one woman. And so if we then marry, how how is God calling us to live? He's calling us to live to be completely faithful to our spouse of the opposite sex. So there's only two paths, chastity and singleness and faithfulness in marriage. And so I, I wanted to kind of uh, build that out and explain that more. There's a lot of great books out there on homosexuality, even the kind of from practical theology on, on how do we engage and share Christ, et cetera, and, and those are helpful, and also some really helpful books on what the Bible is saying, going over the six passages and kind of refuting some of the gay-affirming theology that is distorting uh, a canonical understanding of biblical sexuality. And so I, I, I realized that I, wanted to, I just didn't want to do anything that had, had already been done. But what I saw lacking was a book that actually addressed sexuality from a theological perspective. And you're yeah. like, uh, you know, maybe some of you listeners might think, well, aren't that isn't that the same biblical and theological? Of course, they're they're correlated and very closely. They're they're cousins, brothers, sisters. But the difference is biblical. You know, looking at the biblical passages, studies the different trees, whereas theology looks at the forest. And so what we wanted to do was not lose sight of the trees through the forest, not lose sight of the forest through the trees. We want to look at both. But since many books fo- focus on these different biblical passages, we want to see what does theology say and, and help us to understand a biblical theology of of singleness and a, and using systematic theology as well. So we're using the grand, God's grand story starting from creation, fall, redemption, consummation, mm-hmm. and how that helps us understand uh, sexuality. And so we look at the imago dei. Uh, we're, we're understanding the doctrine of sin. We're looking at, uh, in a sense, a theology of desire and understanding of temptation. And then I have actually at the heart of the book, two full chapters, my biggest chapters on marriage. Uh, and then the next biggest chapters are on singleness and then get some really practical things. Because oftentimes people want to jump in and just, well, I just want to love. And that's, good, but sometimes when we try to do right before we think right, we could end up doing wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: how I like to think about my books is uh, our, the, my first book is a mem- memoir, and that's kind of for the heart, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. to, to give you some empathy and compassion, uh, to hear just a story, to to kind of break down some barriers and, and to break down some walls. So that's kind of for the heart. And my newest book is for the head and for the hands, because I, mm. I think we have to, we can't disassociate the two. We have to think right to actually uh, be a foundation for how we actually serve and, mm. and do right. So that's my newest book. Yeah, that's awesome. um One thing that you brought up that's really interesting
0: to me as we go through these questions is how, as Christians, is building off your um analogies using all of our body like we have our heart which should be dedicated to the lord but then we should have our yes. mind which is being engaged in these issues and using our body to actually serve him um so yes. I think that's a really good point you bring up thanks so so sorry i'm just amazed here so we live in a very extraordinary time like i it's a very different world than even it was like five months ago um, right with respect to sexuality you know you look at the sexual revolution of the 1960s and how that just kind of changed the way we look at sexuality as a society right. typically so what is like before we get into spe- some specific issues uh what's some like general like thoughts on like where we are as a society and kind of like you know just living biblically faithful through the world we are in right now
1: yeah you know it's it it, it is a lot for us to be alarmed about when mm-hmm. we're seeing uh, even how discussions of race and mm-hmm. uh, for example, uh, you know uh, the color of our skin or uh, where we're from, how that has now been conflated with mm-hmm. uh, either sexuality or or transgenderism. So you know even right now with with all the racial tensions, you know, with with you know one of the main movements now addressing racism uh, from a secular perspective. You know, when you go to the, their website, what you find is one of their primary goals is actually uh, refuting you know heteronormative thinking. Mm. Uh, it's it's actually uh, uh, kind of. Uh, you know, advocating for uh, transgenderism rights. And, and it's just interesting how that just dovetails right in so easily. And and, and our youth and, and everyone is just accepting it. Of course, we're going to uh, come alongside that and, and be an ally. And people just aren't able to differentiate between how I can advocate for a person but then not actually affirm this incorrect identity. And and really it comes down to, so yes, as I see all this, what my point of this is as much as we get frustrated with this, for me, it breaks my heart, you know, as mm-hmm. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, uh, you know, with all of its uh, immorality or pride and Phariseeism, it, it I also look at the world today, you know, even just focusing here in America, there's so much to be angry at and frustrated and want to just combat it, but it breaks my heart and, and I never want to lose that empathy for the lost because I, I don't want to make it so much an us versus them, although it is truth versus, uh, untruth, but I want it to be, a. Uh, Always focus upon winning lost souls because it it does come to identity. Why? Why is it that people have conflated, for example, race or, you know, one's ethnicity with their sexuality? Because in people's minds, they view that just as race is an ontological category then so is sexuality an ontological category, meaning this is who I am, not simply what I do, not simply what are my desires, what are my attractions, Mm. but they have completely viewed this as who we are. And that's incorrect. Mm. And if we as Christians get that first, that's so important. I think we'll be so much far ahead in understanding those in the gay community, having empathy for them, and more importantly, being able to share the good news of Jesus Christ.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's really good stuff. Um, so we'll go to some specific issues now. We're gonna talk about three. If you guys are listening, also if you have questions, feel free to ask them in the live chat. We'll hopefully get to some at the end, or we we will. Uh, the first thing is you you mentioned this is um, this idea of transgenderism. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's becoming more of a, more of a thing, and and there's just so much that could be unpacked here, and there's a lot of different scenarios and things you could deal with here, but. Uh, as a Christian, how do you look at the idea of transgenderism and how do we kind of look at this from like a biblical perspective?
1: You know, I think it's understanding that uh, transgenderism is really not a matter of what is male or female. That's actually just a symptom at the core. What transgenderism really is about is what is true Mm. and what is real because the world says, if you, Feel something. If you think something, that's your truth. Mm. And no one has any right to tell you anything different.
0: Mm.
1: What does the Bible say? The Bible says, the heart is deceitful. Above all else, who can know it? Jeremiah 17:9. Paul Says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Mm. So, although God has given us a heart, in other words, emotions, the ability, the capability to have desires and emotions and feelings, and God has given us a mind to think. Regrettably, because of our own brokenness in our human nature and sin that has entered in the world in the fall, Genesis three, even my thoughts have been tainted, has has been affected by the fall. My feelings, so I can't really trust. Every feeling that I have, I can't trust every just because I think something doesn't then mean that it is true or even something that I need to act on. And I think that's mm. so important. So that's what transgenderism is. But the world is saying you think something that that is God. So we're living in a world now that's not sola scriptura, but it's actually sola experiencia. Mm experience alone. And I think it's an important question that we need to ask people who, of course, they, you know, we believe in science. Well, I don't think any, I mean, anyone ever said, any Christian ever said, we don't believe in science. (laughs) We just recognize the limitations. Science is not absolute. How we believe in science is a philosophical claim. So, you know, right, exactly. And science is not purely objective i mean mm-hmm. as a scientist before i mean you know i'm chinese and i'm gonna throw on my you know stereotype you know <laughs> before before i i studied theology i studied science that was I, I was in health and medicine and i was about to become a doctor and um you know we know that as much as we aim for objectivity in science and medicine and health we know that in in even the research the best research nothing is purely objective mm-hmm. And yet we do have some sciences of all the different disciplines that that tend to be a bit more objective than others. For example, biology is one of the more objective sciences. It's 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 basically you observe things and you just take note of things, and, and that's all it is. Psychology. It, it is objective, but it, it also is one of the more subjective sciences. Mm-hmm. And yet when it comes to transgenderism, we are allowing psychology to supersede biology to the point where biology is irrelevant and it's almost unimportant and it's we can completely change it. Mm-hmm. So biology is no longer—it's we can just annihilate biology because biology doesn't matter, and yet people accuse us of of being, you know, denying science. Uh, so I, I think that's really at the core of what transgenderism is: what is true and what is real. And when we have conflicting truths, you know, or conflicting realities—I'll take that back—not conflicting truths. When we have conflicting realities how are we going to determine which one supersedes or is given priority over the other Mm. and the world is saying well it's our more subjective reality it's our self uh you know self-realization or self uh you know view of ourself that then has priority over everything else
0: Thank you for the really well thought out and informed answer. Another topic that's really important is the idea of homosexuality. Obviously, you know, we live in a society where I think, I mean, you know the statistics better than I do, but I think it's like two to three to 4% are in that LGBT plus um, category. Um, so as a Christian, you know, f- people may see christianity as oppressive to homosexuals or things like that you know you'll have people who walk around with signs like god hates gays and then you also have people on the complete opposite end to say you know homosexuality is totally okay mm-hmm. um, so as from a biblical worldview how do we address this topic of homosexuality
1: yeah you know i think we need to uh, begin with what what I see is the biggest mistake that is made. And that is not so much of what is right or wrong, uh, what is moral and what is immoral, but first and foremost, and those are actually very important discussions to have, but I think we need to, before we have that even discussion or even, uh, you know, uh, beginning to have these conversations with those in the gay community or those who don't know Christ or come from an incorrect, uh, understanding of biblical sexuality and claim to be Christian we need to first address this issue of who we are mm-hmm. when I live as a gay man i I didn't say oh yeah, you know uh, uh, when I say I'm gay I mean this is what I do
0: mm-hmm.
1: when when I was gay and identified as gay 20 years ago uh, and I said I am gay, you know I explained that I didn't I didn't say well this is what I feel no absolutely not i would say when i say i am gay what i mean is this is who i am and this radical shift from what to who has created a radical distorted view of personhood as a matter of fact michael foucault who's you know known to be uh, uh one of the i mean he wouldn't call himself a founder but he definitely uh, greatly impact the postmodern movement he was he was gay. Uh, he died of AIDS. He and he was uh, talked a, a, a lot about this, but but in essence, he was basically saying that this this term homosexual created this new species of personhood. So we've created this new category of identity, this new category of personhood, not a new category of experience, because sexuality at the core, it's not an ontological it's not an ontological reality it's an existential reality so it's not who we are but it's how we are and when we begin to think in that category and and actually help people to see and we don't ourselves fall into that but recognize that others do like the majority of people in the world think that that this is who you are What's wrong? People can't help it. That's just who they are. That's what the world will say. And that, and then we come at it, well, oh, no, it's sin. And what they don't hear us saying, when, when people have that wrong framework, they don't hear us saying, oh, you're saying that you know, the behavior of sin. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. They hear us saying, what we're doing is calling the entire person reprehensible. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a a great start to begin there, to have more of a conversation and inroads to begin to address kind of that core issue and then be able to not actually, it's then talk about what is sin and what is not sin. I think it's Mm -hmm. more important to talk about the reality of God and why, you know, the reality of God actually impacts the way that we live.
0: Mm -hmm. So I think one of the most natural questions kind of coming through here is, as a Christian and for anyone who's listening to Christians, how do we witness to people who um, maybe are homosexual or transgender um Mm -hmm. you know it it seems like it could be like a very daunting task uh, to share the gospel with someone like uh, this so how do you recommend you know sharing the gospel in a way that honors god but at the same time we're reaching the person and helping them understand the gospel
1: yeah i think it's you know it's taking some uh tips from how Jesus handled when when he would be cornered with questions and people Mm. would try to test him. Uh, Many times Jesus did not answer their question. I mean, before Pilate, he didn't say anything. He was silent. Uh, Sometimes Mm. he would answer a question with a question. Other times maybe he would give an answer, but it would be to another question, the more important question. And we have to, by the power of the Holy Spirit and being submissive to the Holy Spirit and leaning into the Holy Spirit, be able to discern uh, what is this person I mean what's actually the most important thing to ask most mm. often people want to know do you think this is sin do you think people are going to hell whatever however they might might couch it but that's actually not really the co- the the more important thing because if I'm able to convince someone that this is not God's will they're still lost
0: mm. What yeah. I
1: want, I mean, for someone to truly understand God's ways, they need to have a new mind. And how do you have a new mind? I can't do that. It's through conversion. And I want to be able to, and I can't I can't save someone, but I want to bring them to a point, to a, a crisis of faith, where they might be able to then put their faith in Christ and follow Jesus. Oh. So that's what I, I, I want to actually be able to avoid the landmines because know that people are always throwing landmines around it and hoping that we'll step on one and then we'll blow up. And then we will then no longer have any opportunity to be able to share Christ with them because they've just cut us, cut us off. I mean, we're not literally blowing up. But when I say blow up, I mean, then they're going to just throw up this big wall and just cut us off. Mm So I want to have, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be a doorstop. That doesn't mean that I'm just going to never like tiptoe around everything, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to recognize that the conversation around ethics is an important one, but that's not going to save them. And Mm -hmm. I can maybe save that for another day and more importantly, talk about things that can lead to salvation, like Mm -hmm. the existence of God, the reality of Jesus Christ, his son, the -hmm. reality of our own sin, Mm -hmm. humanity. Not just this sin, mm-hmm. but all of our sin yeah. and the, the reality of Jesus Christ as a savior of the world. I mean, those things I think are, are much, much, much more important than, uh, and, and these take, you know, primacy over this still important discussion of ethics. But I think that this is much more important, of ultimate importance, compared to this discussion on ethics.
0: Mm, yeah, thank you for that very
1: insightful answer. Um,
0: we'll go to one more of these big questions. We'll also hit a few questions. I saw a couple in the live chat. We'll get to those at the end. Great. If you have questions, feel free to grill Christopher yawn I'm he's doing of <laughs> yeah, work. I I'm just it. gonna throw questions
1: here. Yeah, um, awesome.
0: The the third issue that I wanted to talk about is the idea of singleness and marriage because I think yes, it, it's it's becoming a bigger issue. I think very, especially within Christian circles recently. Um, I've just noticed, you know, if you look at something like TikTok or social media, it's all yeah. about finding that perfect person and that perfect yep. marriage and that's going to complete you and all these things. Um, and I don't know, there may be people listening here that follow me on TikTok cause I'm trying to, you know, reach people through that platform, even though I can't stand TikTok. I don't know <laughs> if you're on it, but you know, different conversation. Um, how do you, how do we look at this idea of first off, um, Christian singleness. What's what's a biblical view of Christian singleness, and how do we look at marriage?
1: Yeah, you know, I I think uh, of all that that I teach on, I probably get the most pushback on uh, my, my you know when I teach from the Bible on singleness because what they don't understand is, um, having you know communicating about how Jesus was positive on singleness and how Paul was positive on singleness, they think that I'm saying then that marriage is bad and that's not at all what Jesus said or what Paul said. They would say that Paul uh, Jesus would say that singleness is good but also say that marriage is good. Paul would also in you know in in when you look at the Pauline you know the corpus of of the Pauline epistles he would say that singleness is good but also say that that marriage is good so it's not either or they're not mutually exclusive we can have both at the same time so i think that's important but the reason why i do focus more on singleness is because i i, I don't think that anyone really questions that oh marriage is you know not as good you know second best you know, you know, as as Protestants, we are reactionary and say we're not Catholics, and so therefore, as the Catholics would have this tendency to put singleness or celibacy, they'd call, and that's why I don't really like that term cel- celibacy because it has it's it has layers of meaning that I want to avoid, and I prefer singleness, uh, just as the state of being unmarried that, uh, you know, we then react and say, no, we're, we're not that. And so therefore we're going to put marriage above singleness and singleness is second best. The problem, the biggest problem with that is if singleness is second best or singleness is mandated or singleness is even a command, uh, or singleness is a sign of, um, Uh, even immaturity or singleness is a sign even of disobedience. If we say any of those things, then Jesus was not his best. Mm. Then Jesus would not be whole. So a deficient Mm. understanding of singleness actually leads to a deficient understanding of Jesus. Mm. So a a bad biblical theology of singleness actually leads to a bad christology. Mm. So we we need to really take this seriously and understand that I mean when we look at the full canon of God, we see instances, you know, like for example Jesus saying that Matthew chapter 22 there's not going to be any marriage in heaven. You know, so I hate to break the news to everyone, but we're going to be single in eternity. but the good news is that we corporately as a body of Christ will be wed to the Lamb of God and and marriage will be done away with because marriage is just marriage here on earth, as we know between a man and a woman, is just a, a a shadow of the ultimate reality of Jesus and the uh, his bride, which is the church. So I think we have to have this really a robust, better understanding of singleness, because I think that's the best way to actually begin communicating mm. about what God is calling us to. Because one of the biggest pushbacks that I get from people, even young Christians who are leaving the church is it's unfair, you know, mm. it's to expect someone to be single. And that's due to this very deficient understanding of singleness, that singleness is bad or not as good.
0: Mm. Thank you. Um, let's go to it's kind of like another broad question here. Yeah, uh, that's the idea. We talked. I think we hit at this a little bit in the beginning, but this idea that um, you know, as a society, we're progressing past Christian values. You know, what people that say. You know, people these religious fundamentalists believe these things that like homosexuality or transgender transgenderism these things are wrong but now we're past that as a society we're better than that mm-hmm. um so a lot of pressure on christians today uh so yeah. how do how do we deal with this obviously we have some beliefs that are very countercultural so how do we how do we look at this from a biblical perspective
1: well i think it's it's first of all understanding you know uh it's not not always that um old is bad and new is good because you know when people say you know i'm progressive or you know when people people say you know well because i believe that you know that in lgbt rights they'll say you know i'm progressive something like that mm-hmm. i i kind of I want to remind people what progressive really means. Progressive means moving forward, not going backwards, right? Because if you're going backwards, then that's kind of considered traditional. And progressive means you're evolving, you're, uh, y- you know, and, and you're moving forward. But when we look at the history of mankind and we go back, let's just stick to the Western world. And we go back 2000 years to the time of the Greco-Roman world in Europe. We find that homosexual relationships were actually the norm. Now, you know, were they, uh, you know, what people call pedophile relationships? Well, how do you define pedophile? Because they, these weren't older men having, you know, sex with babies or even children or infants. They were actually just adult men that would have these sexual relationships with prepubescent young uh, maybe teenagers and we would say well that's pedophilia anyway well remember that actually the marrying age for men and women the women would be around that age anyway around teenagers and i'm not justifying it i'm just i'm just laying the history of of what it is but homosexuality was quite the norm now there's this myth that it was only that form of a male and maybe a teenage boy that's not true there was uh uh, there is there's significant evidence and people writing about how it these relationships would not always, but sometimes progress into when they are both adults. So it wasn't unknown. So homosexuality was normal and it was not uncommon at all. And when we go back to, you know, even maybe a few more hundred years before that to ancient uh, Israel, all the nations around ancient Israel, homosexual relationships and activity and uh, and behavior was quite common. So when people say they're being progressive, that's actually not really accurate. It, they're being regressive, <laughs> and uh, you know. So it's I think it's helping people to to know that just because you know you know we're we're holding to something from the past doesn't necessarily mean it is bad and what is ultimately the question is what is truth and what are we going to hold to as something that we believe is good is truth good is absolute truth good mm-hmm. or is truth something that we just it, it just evolves because then i would you know the person who who is progressive i would say well you know if what we believe 10 years ago or 50 years ago is bad and now what you believe is good it's actually very possible, if not very, very likely that what you believe now is going to be bad in 50 years. Mm. And uh, so it's, it's, it's not trying to be what is relevant for the time, it's actually trying to find what is true, and what is real. And is there anything that is absolute?
0: Yeah, it's a really powerful answer. Um, throw one more question at you and then we'll hit a few on our way out um, from the live chat and I think we've talked we've covered a lot of really important issues here and I think the last thing to me is, as I was formulating these questions is the question of why um, yeah. you know people may say you know why is homosexuality wrong or why is being transgender wrong? Um, things like that. So uh, as a Christian, how do you address the why questions for like things like that?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I, I think when we have, when we talk about what is right or what, what is wrong, it really comes down to what is our presupposition. Mm-hmm. And when we have, when we come from the wrong starting point, almost anything that I say uh, is not going to get past that. So mm-hmm. I, I, well, instead of kind of being specific about, well, this is why this is wrong, I want to actually step back and answer the well how do we know that anything is wrong mm-hmm. how do we know that anything is right and and how do we determine that i mean so it kind mm-hmm. of comes back to this yeah. understanding of of truth what is what is true what is not true what is absolute, and mm-hmm. in, in the same way what is right what is wrong and so it's it's really at the broader question epistemological question mm-hmm. of how do we know anything and um you know so for example and and i would press someone who would probably be asking this you know and nicely ask Mm -hmm. how would you determine what is right or wrong just Mm -hmm. generally not not Mm -hmm. on this topic but in general what is right or wrong and if we want to be a little Mm -hmm. bit more specific we would say how do we determine what is right or wrong when it comes to sex Mm -hmm. now the answer probably would be something more along the lines of well as long as you're not hurting anyone or uh, as long as there's consent Well, with that broad of a question, we could then allow for incest. And immediately people will push back with like, no, if you ha- they have children, then they might, you know, of course there could be genetic de- defects, et cetera. But then I think, what if both brother and sister would then, you know, sterilize themselves? You know, the the brother would cut his tubes and she would, you know, no, you know, I don't know have her ovaries taken out whatever it is then would would that then be right oh. and so we realized that a simple understanding of as long as you're no longer doing harm actually doesn't fit for example uh lying you know so so if you i i could probably make the argument that you know lying isn't not only not only harming but it could actually help someone if i lie oh. and uh so i i think in those situations or you know as you know if if i'm talking to a so-called progressive christian i would talk about idolatry i how is idolatry hurting anyone oh. and yet throughout scripture the the most condemned thing is idolatry in the old testament and the new testament so you know questioning what is right or what is wrong what is moral and what is not i think is is much more of this conversation that that we can uh show the deficiency of their presupposition and and then hopefully to come in with you know because my understanding of sexuality is firmly grounded in what I see as the only thing that is absolute truth. Oh. And then that is God himself and how he has revealed himself through his son Jesus Christ who is the living word oh. and we have been given this book which is Scripture, and that is how we know God, ourselves and how and, and Jesus Christ. And so though I think those are really, really important and, and that's how I kind of go at engaging with those who might ask a question like mm-hmm. that.
0: Yeah, it's a really good point you bring up that never—it just never clicked for me—is you know when someone will bring up a question like this, it's just well, how do we know what's right and wrong in the first place? And right. I think that's a great a great place to start that conversation. Uh, let's go to a few questions in the live chat. Um, right. We should have time for a few more, I think. So if you have a few more, we can get to some at the end. Uh, we'll right. get the questions going here for the next fifteen minutes. Uh, we have a super chat from Cindy Fredo. Thank you so much. Uh, he says, uh, Doctor Yuan, um, would you summarize? Uh, you gave yourself up to Jesus. G- When it comes to um, sexual orientation, does it make sense to argue that God trumps your free will? So I think he's kind of saying here, like, is God putting his will over your own free will um, in terms of you determining your sexual orientation?
1: Yeah, you know, it's uh, the reality when when we're coming uh, on this conversation about God's sovereignty and free will. We never want to say more than the Bible says or Mm. less than the Bible says. Mm, That's good. And so there is this tension always. So let's just not talk about my own. Uh, you know, my own story, but just in general, whether it's regarding salvation, whether it's regarding Mm. sanctification, whether it's regarding, Mm. uh, you know, even let's say writing the Bible, you know, biblical authors that wrote, you know, Mm. they weren't robots, but and yet God was sovereign over all of that. Mm. So it is, um, you know, God is completely sovereign because if he's not sovereign over everything, then he's not so sovereign over all things. Mm. And yet there is the reality. So so it's this in our minds, what seems to be a paradox, but it's not a paradox in God's mm. mind. So Definitely from my perspective, it was, you know, no, I chose God, but looking back now, you know, 20 years, I'm like, you know, no, God's hand was through all of that. So it's, it's yes and yes to both. It it was God, you know, over all things, uh, but it was also, you know, me uh, saying, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to follow Christ. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, question from BDS
1: here. Um, how's it going? He
0: says, uh, for Dr. Yon. he says, Michael Fackle said, okay. no doubt homo- homosexuality is not a form of desire, but something desirable. Therefore, we have to work at becoming um, homosexuals. So, you know, this is a very important question. I'm sure it's one you've been asked before. Is same-sex attraction mm. effortless or is same-sex attraction chosen?
1: Yeah, great question. So Foucault, yeah, I mean, he was pretty revolutionary in his understanding or um, in his writing uh, because a lot of people didn't really understand the concept of sexuality and actually much of what we know today, whether it's queer theory and transgenderism and gender identity and uh, non-binary actually stems stems from Foucault himself. So same-sex attraction actually is not something that is chosen. Same-sex sexual behavior is, and this is where Christians really kind of fumble this on because they say, "No, homosexuality is a choice." Well, what exactly are you talking about? Are you talking about actually the temptation, or are you talking about uh, you know the actual behavior? And most Christians be like, "No, I'm talking about the behavior." But when we just say broadly, so homosexuality. Is a choice what people misunderstand is no we're saying actually like the like the temptation is and um and in my book I actually tease out the the concept of attraction because I think it's a little bit too broad of a concept it's and it's a little bit ambiguous because uh, you know anytime we engage with people and have conversations we need to define our terms what exactly does attraction mean does attraction is that synonymous completely with with uh temptation or could it also be synonymous uh with desire or is it both we don't know and so in in my book i decide to when we're talking about these more uh, you know detailed things i stick to the terms of temptation or desire whereas yeah. temptation in and of itself is sin, even though it can be grounded in our flesh that Paul talks about, that is sometimes translated sinful desire, and it is coming from, as a result of the fall and our sin nature, or, but, and then we have our desires, so even though that's not sin, it can quickly turn into sin as we give in to temptation, but our desire, uh, what's so interesting is that the word for desire, for example, you know, in, in the Greek, epithumia, it's it's actually the same word epithumia this one word greek can be either translated as as desire or lust so many oh. times people think no lust is just you know when desire turns sinful Des, you know d- desire turns into lust actually that's oh. that's not true that desire uh, lust is wrongly ordered desire and so uh, same sex sexual desire is sinful but anyway it's not a choice but the behavior is a choice and um but you you do hear and and so you know when it comes to male sexuality and female sexuality it is uh we're different you know and i might really shock people here uh, with a statement but uh, men and women are different really (laughs) i know i know shocking (laughs) and so therefore it should come to, to no surprise that male sexuality and female sexuality generally speaking are is different and unfortunately for decades when people studied homosexuality and and sexuality they mostly studied male sexuality and male uh gay men and very little were lesbians studied and what we find is that even though for men sexuality tends to be a bit more rigid not completely fixed as the world thinks so it's not mm. completely immutable but tends to be a bit more rigid uh, but, but we're just talking about the the actual uh, desires and, and temptations. We're not talking about behavior. Behavior is something totally different because we're not robots. But when it when we're talking about women, lesbians, the, there is much more fluidity. If anyone's interested, uh, study Dr. Lisa Diamond. She's not a Christian, and she's she would call herself a feminist scholar uh, and as my friend Rosaria Butterfield would talk as she used to be a feminist scholar. And she, she would say I was a consistent feminist, meaning she was lesbian. And uh, she so Dr. Lisa Diamond uh, has very convincingly provided a lot of research showing that for women, sexuality is much more fluid. Now, of course, she's She is not an advocate then for reparative therapy, and she's very vocal against that. But the point is, as much as the world and human rights campaign and and gay activists are trying to say that sexual orientation is fixed, the data simply does not support that. Uh, But then, so for women, there is a sense where they do choose to then date a man or a woman. But again, that's focusing on the behavior behaviors are chosen, the actual desires or temptations are not um, in most cases chosen.
0: Very well thought out. I've seen this in the interview. Very well thought out. Thank you. Um, We're we'll going to one more question here. Uh, thank sure. you, Critical Christianity, for the super chat. Really appreciate you as you support it here in Apologetics. Uh, from Air Church, it says, Dr. Juan, uh, what is your opinion on the effectiveness of conversion therapy? Some governments try to ban faith-based therapies because they say they are ineffective.
1: Great question. Now. Absolutely. And, um, you know, as we're talking about conversion therapies, I'm uh, you know, just as I'm really careful uh, and and critique the words that I use and others that use, um, I, I really don't like when the world uses conversion therapy because mm. it's it's distorting uh something that is so core to Christianity which is conversion and and I'm not saying that this listener is but but unfortunately that's a terminology and I'm glad that they put it in quotes because I do the same thing People can say I'm using scare quotes, whatever, but I just don't like the term conversion. I actually prefer more the uh, conversion therapy and reparative therapy are are often synonymous, even though in the laws, they're using the term conversion therapy, but I push back on that because I don't like that term because conversion really only has one meaning and that is becoming an unbeliever to a believer, going from death to life, going from unbelief to belief. So oh. therefore, that's true conversion. Now, reparative therapy... Uh, you know, what are they called conversion therapy, is a framework um, that focuses upon psychoanalysis where um, counselors and through group therapy where an individual can maybe diminish their same-sex attractions and increase their opposite-sex attractions. So that is controversial therapy, and I actually am not an advocate for that in the sense of I don't think that—and the reason is because, as I explained before, is because homosexuality broadly is not the goal. Now, if there uh, was—that's one reason. Second, uh, if we were then focusing upon the right goal, which is holy sexuality— I don't believe that the main modality or the main methodology should be therapy, because then that then gives the impression that I would use counseling to become more holy. And there's, I just don't find anything where, where that can be justified in scripture. Not to say that uh, counseling. Psychology or biblical counseling, which I, I, I much more prefer. Biblical counseling is helpful and can, can make us more healthy spiritually, even psychologically, etc. But that we should never confuse those things and, and somehow say that through the counseling or group therapies, that actually helps me uh, to become more holy or more sanctified. Uh, certainly as more a healthy person, I am more able to resist temptations, etc. cetera. And that's, that's always a good thing to be a healthy person, but not confusing the two categories. So I, I think that's, you know, in the midst of that, I also, and you know this is the tension. I think we often hold these views that seem to be intention. I don't think it's intention, but just as much as I communicate that this isn't the the true goal that homo- heterosexuality should not be the right goal because that can also lead to sin and also um, as helpful as counseling can be that that should be the not the main methodology or even the methodology to pursue sanctification. It should be. Uh, discipleship. It should mm. be being tied in with a local church. It should be, uh, you know, true discipleship, not sometimes people confuse discipleship with counseling or discipleship with support groups, but mm. true, biblical, you know, counseling that mm. is in the church, ideally, and with a pastor or a church leader. Uh, but as much as I say that, I'm also very much against the movement of, you um, You know, big governments and overreaching, you know, almost dictator governments Mm -hmm. uh, and congresses that try to legislate something that they should never be involved Mm -hmm. in legislating, which is telling a professional what they can or cannot do. It's uh, my dad's a dentist. You know, I was going to be a dentist. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, you know, Illinois State trying to tell my dad, well, you can't do root canals. Because uh, it's going to harm people psychologically or something like that. When really the evidence is not there. There's there's only anecdotal evidence. Uh, again, it's anecdotal. It's not research. It's anecdotal evidence that somehow this causes harm. So I'm not against reparative therapy because it causes harm. Because there's no there's not a single replicated uh, blind study that that shows that this causes harm, I'm only against it because it's not actually the correct specific goal, correct direction, but it's too broad. So Mm. I take this uh, kind of dual approach to say it's really not God's ideal. Uh, And and also we should not be trying to make it illegal, Mm. uh, because if we try to make that illegal and it has in many states, uh, then that gives precedence for the government than just, you know, saying whatever they want and saying, I'm going to make this illegal.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, we'll squeeze in one more question here as we start to run out of time. I think this will be the last question of the day. Unfortunately, um, thank yeah. you, Dr. Yuan, for your time. From Critical sure. Christianity, it says Dr. Yuan, uh, do you think that same-sex attracted Christians who are committed to holy sexuality should come out?
1: Yeah. You know, I'm, and I, I get this question a lot. And w- what I would say is. I do believe that it's very helpful that we need to be transparent with those that we are closest with. If I'm in a discipleship relationship with with someone, I need to be honest. If I'm asking someone to hold me accountable, they can't hold me accountable if I'm not transparent. So there is that need to be open and honest and transparent I don't know if I would then use the term come out because that means a whole slew of other things. Mm. And generally coming out means that I'm affirming being gay and I'm affirming of, uh, being engaging in same-sex relationships. So when people ask me this, I said, we definitely should have a, a handful, at least maybe two, maybe three people that know us and know of our own journey and our struggle, um, I always suggest people, if there's a very specific person that you necessarily might struggle with, that you might have attractions for, do not tell that person, tell someone else, someone, your, you know, your mentor or someone, your accountability partner, but don't tell that person. If that person is, is your accountability partner, well then tell your mentor, someone else, because I don't ever find it appropriate to tell someone that that you have feelings for someone when you know that it, it, that. Uh, any type of you know sexual or romantic relationship with that person would be against the will of God. It's it's similar to if my best friend who's married, if I happen to have romantic feelings for my best friend's wife, is it ever 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 appropriate for me to tell her that I have romantic feelings for her? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. In the same way, if you have feelings for another uh, you know someone of the same sex, and you know maybe it's a Christian brother or if you're a lady and a Christian sister. Don't tell that other person, but you should confess that to help someone hold you accountable for that. So I think definitely we should be transparent. I just try to avoid some of these terminologies that can be really misunderstood.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you, Dr. Do you have time? I don't want to. So if you don't have time, please say no. But do you have time for one more question? Yeah, sure. I can do that. All right. Sorry, I did not mean to like throw you on the bus here and be like, Yeah, no,
1: that's good. Here.
0: <laughs> I said an hour, but I really appreciate you going over. This will be literally the last question. I know I said that like two times, but this yeah, is literally- no worries. Awesome. Let Dr. Yon be free. I think it should be a s- clarification question. Um, yeah. um, Thank you again for the super chat. He says, if you're not with homosexuality or heterosexuality, um, how do we reach asexuality to have it all make sense? I think he just might be misunderstanding a little bit of what you're saying here.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think the the issue, you know what, I actually have people that, you know, will hear my talk and, and they'll say, well, I'm asexual, you know, and so what is God calling me to do? and First of all, I, I, re, I remind people that uh, labels, especially worldly labels, are actually do more harm than they help. Mm. Uh, although it might make sense to say, oh, this label helps to uh, describe my experience, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm which then feels so freeing, we need to recognize that unfortunately these labels like asexuality, like homosexuality, bisexuality, et cetera, Mm -hmm. queer, you know, go on the whole list that's out there, non-binary, you know, et cetera, genderqueer, whatever it is. Unfortunately, all those labels that we may feel like, or we're using them to describe our experience are heard by everyone else. As a statement of identity, a mm. statement of ontology or of essence or personhood. So that's why I just want to be careful. I'd much rather, if we're going to use any label, be very clear that we're we're using this label strictly to describe my experience. In other words, if people say, you know, I have asexual feelings. Honestly, I would just much prefer if you just say, I don't have any sexual desires. Mm-hmm. You don't have to use the word asexual because then that that kind of then pigeonholes us into that's who I am. And what I want to remind people is it's not abnormal to not have or you know want to have sex. That's not a bad thing. The only reason why I think people think it's so weird or out there is mm-hmm. because we're living in a hyper-sexualized world. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you don't have all these sexual feelings, you're weird. There's something mm-hmm. wrong with you. Yeah. As a matter of fact, for most women, they don't have sexual desires. I know people who got married, and the, and the women just—I I don't have any desire to have sex. They would—they desire to to be close to someone. They would desire to hold hands with their husband, to be hugged, uh, but they just feel like that's kind of weird or even gross. Or and actually, even for women, the act of sex is painful. So um, it's not abnormal to not have these desires to have sex. And what I tell people is. Almost let that go. Not make that the forefront as much as the world is so sexual. Just, uh, just realize that, I mean, that can actually be a blessing because for so many people, sexual desires for a single person has become bondage, has become something that hinders their walk. And the fact that you don't have that as your struggle, and I'm I'm sure that the people who don't have sexual desires have other sinful struggles, but you don't have that one or that additional one, that's a little bit of a bonus, and praise the Lord for that. And then focus on the other things that we need to die to self for in pursuing uh, sanctification. Mm. But um, as we reach out to those who do identify as asexual, I think it's helping them as well. And I kind of I hope I'm not beating a dead horse, but I, I want people, you know, kind of ingrained it in their minds that, mm-hmm. that when it comes to homosexuality and even gender identity, the issue is a matter of personhood. Who are we? we. we and when you are engaging mm-hmm. someone who identifies as asexual, help them to see that just the having a sexual desire or the lack of a sexual desire should not then be who we are. It's mm. an ex, ex, it's an experiential statement. It's an existential reality, not uh, ontological one.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Yuan, thank you so much for your yeah, time. Yeah, you're welcome. You, I really appreciate your answers. They're so insightful, um, so biblically faithful. It's just amazing to see you and what God is doing through you. I'll leave it to you, Um, give you the last word if there's any last thoughts you want to say or if people, how can they follow you? Um, yeah, you sure. You. Thanks,
1: Zach. Yeah, so my website is just my full name, Christopher Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, which is just Christopher Yuan, Facebook. Uh, dot com slash TikTok. Christopher. I'm not on TikTok yet, so you know you would think. I guess maybe being Chinese, I should be on TikTok, right? <laughs> no, uh, and uh, so maybe I should be. Maybe I have an exit No, I have no idea. But uh and and then my two books. You know, feel free. They're on Amazon, and um, uh, my story out of a far country. That's my testimony. If people are interested, they want to know more. I would say go read my book first. Uh, my first book, Out of our Far Country, and then read my third book, which is Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. But you can also go to my YouTube channel. It's, I, it's not something I don't post regularly, but there are, cha- uh, there are videos of my testimony. And if you're interested, go see the video where I actually give my testimony with my parents. It's, it's really powerful hearing from my mom and my dad. But I also give other talks as well if you want to hear more in detail about uh, my teaching. Mm. Thank you, Dr. Jan. And there you go yeah, on.
0: Oh my gosh. Um right. and there will be links and there's links in the description, there's links via podcast if you want to follow him. Um thank you so much for your time. Thank you everyone for tuning in to Adhere in Apologetics. If you're new here, I encourage you to leave a like, subscribe. You can follow all these very important conversations that we're having. Um, I'm very thankful for everyone who's supporting us. You can support us on patreon.com slash adhere in apologetics, or you can become a member other stuff. I don't know. Um, really appreciate you guys' support as I do this part time in college and all that fun stuff. Doctor Yuan, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. You-